Well, thank you for tuning in to Centuries and Saints, Episode 7 of Season 1. Uh, my name is Scott Matson. I am the host of this podcast, and we have been looking at the patristic age of the church. So that time of the church, after the apostles had died, uh, up until about the year 451 A.D., with the Council of Chalcedon, which we discussed in our last episode, looking at church councils. So again, thanks for joining me here today. And on this episode of Centuries and Saints, we will be talking about monasticism. You've all heard of monks. Perhaps when I say the word monk, uh, you conjure up an image of a kung fu artist in a temple somewhere, a Shaolin monk. Uh, Or perhaps you think of uh, men in the early church who would go out and live in the desert and punish themselves for their sins, those kinds of things. Well, both of those pictures are actually true, and we'll be talking a little bit about that and some of the theological implications of monasticism on today's episode. Now, it was during the patristic age of the church when monasticism first emerged and became popular. And the idea, it rested basically upon the denial of the body in order that the spirit might be freed up to commune with God. And so, amongst some of the early church fathers, there was an idea of two roads to morality, a higher and a lower, so that in our formation to Christ-likeness, we can choose the higher road, which would be the monks who withdrew from society, or we could choose the lower road, which most of us choose because we are not monks, for example. Now, uh, one very famous monk that you may be aware of, and you may have not have known that he was a monk, was the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. He was a strict Augustinian monk uh, before his coming to Christ and his understandings of justification by faith. And Luther actually uh, used to beat himself very severely, and he put his body and his mind through very rigorous exercises in pain uh, before his conversion to Christ. Okay, so monasticism has a long, long history, and there are monks still today. Uh, there are monks in the Roman Catholic Church. There are monks in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And certainly monasticism today, while still holding on to some of the same ideals, looks different than it used to in the past. Uh, but this has been an important part of the spirituality of the Christian Church for nearly 2,000 years. And so monasticism, while there are good things about it and some bad things about it, it's very important for us to understand it and to take a look at it. So that's what we're doing on this episode. Now, I want to talk first about the Desert Fathers, and especially a man named St. Antony. Okay, so the Desert Fathers, they were those monks back in the third century and going forward, who would withdraw from the world, and they would go out and literally live in the desert. Okay, and the most famous of these men was a man named Antony, St. Antony. Okay, so he really believed, and he really felt, uh, that he wanted to become more like Christ. But not just become more like Christ, Antony was inspired by the stories of the martyrs who had come before him in previous centuries, like Polycarp, for example, the Bishop of Smyrna, whom we discussed in an earlier episode. 
Okay, so Antony and many others, uh, they were very impressed, and rightly so, by the testimony of the martyrs. And they themselves, in a sense, wanted to be martyrs. But what do you do if you want to be a martyr, but there's no persecution? There's no opportunity to become a martyr, for example. Well, what Antony did, and what many others did, is they committed themselves to asceticism. Asceticism is vigorous self-denial, okay, by imposing discipline upon yourself. And so that's why Antony and some of the other desert monks, they were called bloodless martyrs. Okay, so while they were not imprisoned and tortured and all of those kinds of things, they would choose to treat themselves and their bodies very, very harshly. Minimal amounts of food and water, things like sleeping out in the cold, self-flagellation even at times. Okay, so while they were not technically martyrs, they wanted to follow in the example and the faithfulness of the martyrs and join in that holy witness. So in a sense, they kind of made themselves martyrs. Okay, and so that's why there was this movement of extreme asceticism amongst especially the early monastics and the desert fathers, beginning again with the man who sort of started that movement, St. Antony, a very famous man in church history. He was born around the year 250 AD. So that gives you an idea of his setting in church history. Now, there's another man I want to talk about. (laughs) Uh, This man followed Antony's example, but even in a more extreme form. Okay, and his name was Simeon the Stylite. Simeon the Stylite. Okay, an early desert father. He climbed up a pillar of an old Roman ruin. Uh, So in a lot of places there in the Middle East and in Turkey and Syria, uh, there are still many, many ruins of the old ancient Roman Empire, including many pillars. So this man, Simeon the Stylite, he climbed up a pillar, which was from an old Roman ruin, and he stayed on that pillar for some 30 years, never once coming down. Imagine that. Climbing up on the top of a pillar and staying up there for 30 years, never coming down. Okay, people would have to deliver your food and your water to you, which in his case would have been minimal at best. Okay, sleeping would have been uncomfortable. Imagine living up there back in those days during the winters when it would snow and get freezing with minimal covering and clothing because he was trying to punish his body. It's all about asceticism. Okay, others, they would go live in caves, for example, and they would refuse to protect themselves from the elements of the weather. Again, trying to bring their bodies into subjection and submission in order that their spirits might more closely commune with the Lord. That was their mindset behind it, okay, for these desert fathers. Now, moving on, uh, up to the 6th century, a very, very famous monk, St. Benedict, and he founded the Benedictine Order of Monks, okay, which is still around today, for example, and he founded a monastery in Monte Cassino, Italy. All right, that monastery is still around today, and St. Benedict was a very, very big figure in church history, especially in the Western church, 
okay, in the Latin church. For the Roman Catholic church, St. Benedict was and is a towering figure. Now, Benedict, uh, his monastic order continued on and had one other very, very famous convert whom you may have heard of, another man who was Roman Catholic, this time from the 13th century, St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, and St. Thomas Aquinas was instrumental in sort of bringing together theology and philosophy, and by the time of his death at age 49, he had basically reshaped and reformed the entirety of Western thought. Okay, I, I don't have time on this episode to go into Aquinas. Lord willing, we'll talk about him in future seasons, um, but a massive intellect and a massive influence on the church for the last 800 years. Okay, still a huge influence. Uh, he was a Benedictine monk. I mentioned Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk, okay, in, in a monastic order uh, which was named after St. Augustine back in the fourth century. Okay, so you see these monastic orders. These were begun back in the patristic age of the church. Now, here's the thing that I want to move on. Uh, we've, we've talked about a couple of different people, St. Anthony, Simeon the Stylite, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther. And we've talked a little bit about uh, the asceticism, that ethos of the mon- monastery, where these men would practice vigorous self-denial and discipline in order to quench the body's desires to free the spirit to commune with God in a deeper way. Now, first of all, I want to talk theologically about this. Okay, well, I appreciate and I I affirm and I admire even the desire and the zeal of these monks to want to have a deeper relationship with the Lord, to walk in greater levels of holiness. Those are wonderful things. Those are biblical things. And those are things every one of us who are Christians should aspire to. We're told in scripture that we are to live lives pursuing holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, we are called as Christians to follow Christ's example and to live lives of holiness. Okay, that's not in question. And I appreciate and I admire the monastic movement and the monks for doing that. However, they had a view of spirituality, which came, I would argue, not from scripture, but rather from Greek philosophy, Greek dualism. Okay, so they made this radical distinction between the soul and the body, the spiritual and the physical. And there was an assumption, very implicit in the culture and in the times of that day, because of Greek thought, that the spiritual was good and the physical was at best neutral, if not downright evil. Okay, and so many monks, they viewed uh, life as their soul, their spirit was the holy part of themselves that related to God, but was trapped inside of their physical body uh, like a person dragging a corpse behind them, for example. That's how they viewed it. Okay, so if you picture yourself walking down the street, uh, dragging a corpse that is attached to you somehow... That's how they viewed the soul and the body. So they wanted to do as much as they could to kill the body and deny the body without actually dying as they could, thinking that that would cause their spirit to be more pure and give them deeper communion with God. Now, theologically, I disagree with that view. Uh, We go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the creation story. 
Okay, what, is, what does the Bible say in the beginning God created? The heavens and the earth. Okay, the words in Hebrew, uh, Hashemayim and Haaretz, okay, the heavens and the earth, these are physical things. Okay, God created man and woman. And we are told that God made uh, man's body from the dust of the earth and breathed his divine life into man and then formed the woman from the rib of the man's body. Okay, so human beings, from the very beginning, we were physical. God made a physical creation. So we see from Scripture that the physical is not evil. It's been corrupted by sin, to be sure. And we are called as Christians to bring our bodies into submission and subjection to Christ. The Apostle Paul says that. But the physical is not inherently evil or bad. No. It's God created it. Okay, so theologically, um, that's the issue that I have with that view of monasticism. Okay, that we need to beat ourselves and live in these extremely harmful ways to try and destroy the body so that we can become martyrs in a sense uh, and thereby be more holy. Okay, um, for those of us who, I would argue, have a good understanding of Scripture, uh, we would believe the reason that we are holy in the eyes of God is because of the blood of Jesus has cleansed our sin and washed us clean. Okay, And in all of Scripture's teachings and the teachings of the apostles about how we grow in Christ's likeness, we never see asceticism listed there. We are told to bring our bodies under subjection. Okay, And I believe, for example, fasting can be a good way to do that. But we never see the extreme uh, forms of asceticism which we see in the early monks, the desert fathers and the monks which came after them. Okay, and so that's the issue that I have with that. Now, the other issue is more of a missiological issue for me, uh, missiology speaking of the mission of the church, okay, or we would think of as the Great Commission, all right? And when we read Jesus' words in John 17, he prays and he says, Father, I do not ask you to take them, speaking of his followers, out of the world, but rather that you would keep them from the evil one. So we see from Jesus' own prayer, and we see all through the scriptures, that for us as Christians, the church, uh, we are not to separate ourselves from the world in the sense of completely withdrawing, hiding behind our church walls, and trying to avoid sin as if it's some kind of disease that's contagious, that's going to infect us if we're not careful. No, rather, we are to walk with the Lord and then go out into the world filled with his Holy Spirit as kingdom ambassadors, as agents of change. Okay, we are called to bring the gospel to everyone. We're not called to hide out in our safe little enclaves and keep ourselves pure from sin and wait for the end of the world. That's not what we as Christians are called to do. And so, again, while I fully appreciate the monastic desire for holiness, and I affirm it and I agree with it, um, without trying to judge and, and look back in the past and, and be guilty of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, um, I look back on those movements and I think in a lot of ways they got it wrong. You know, and, and again, some of them, uh, they were trying to flee the corruptions they saw in the world. A lot of them even were trying to flee the corruptions they saw in the church. The church had become in many ways very worldly, much like we see today, much like you see all throughout church history. And they wanted to separate from that and live in holiness. Again, I, I applaud that desire. 
But the way that we see that as Christians we are to relate to the world is not through separation, but rather, as Jesus did, incarnation. You and I, filled with the Spirit, redeemed by Christ, are to go out into the world, equipped for every good work, walking in the good works that the Lord has predetermined for us, and to love and to bless and bring the gospel to others. That's how we reach the world for Christ. And so, from a theological and a missiological perspective, monasticism, I believe, uh, in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, it falls short. And then finally, when we look at the monasticism from an ecclesiological perspective, uh, the perspective of the church, you know, we see in the New Testament, these churches would meet together. They would come together for fellowship, for prayer and prophecy and teaching and the Eucharist and a common meal. Okay, the church did life together. And one of the ways I believe that the Lord cleanses and purifies his church is by the interaction of his people together, regularly meeting for worship and fellowship. And we cleanse and we love and we purify one another. Again, not this radical separation where we go off and live by ourselves in a cave or in a desert, that kind of a thing. So that's a brief look at monasticism. What I want to do is I want to finish out this episode by reading a quote again from the late Dr. Bruce Shelley of Denver Seminary, uh, this fantastic book that he wrote, Church History in Plain Language. Again, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, pick it up. You will not regret it. And Bruce Shelley wrote this, quote, Above all, the Benedictine conception of the Christian life was essentially unnatural. Again, Benedictine speaking of the Benedictine monastics. To enter a monastery was to separate from the world, to abandon the ordinary relationships of social life, to shun marriage and all that the Christian home signifies. And supporting the whole endeavor was an erroneous view of man. The soul, said the monk, is chained to the flesh as a prisoner to a corpse. That is not the biblical view of human life, and it created a fundamental flaw in monasticism. To recognize these errors today, however, is not to say that the faults were apparent to the men of the declining Roman Empire or the Middle Ages. For them, generally, the monastic calling seemed the truest form of the Christian life. Nor should we, in noting the evils of monasticism, underrate in the least the immense service the monks rendered in the spread and development of Christianity and of civilization in a trying period of European history, end quote. And to that, I would say amen. To conclude this episode, we have the monks to thank for transcribing and copying down the scriptures and passing them down and safeguarding them throughout the centuries. We have the monks to thank for education. We have the monks to thank for, in many ways, preserving the church and the Christian faith uh, throughout times of persecution and darkness in world history. Okay, so all of this, again, is not to look back in arrogance and, you know, criticize or demonize the monastic movement. Not at all. I wanted to give you guys just sort of an overview, a very brief overview of monasticism and its roots in the patristic era of the church. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Once again, please go onto iTunes or whatever platform you use to download and listen to this podcast. Subscribe rate the podcast, uh, leave, write a review for us. Those things are really helpful. I would really appreciate that. So I'll be back with you for our next episode coming up soon. 
But until then, once again, this is Scott Matson. Thank you for listening to Centuries and Saints. God bless you.